So now before we begin our study this morning, let's take a moment to pray. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kidshenu B'Mitzvotah V'Tivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to speak to you today about Messiah's unfinished work, and I want to enlarge your view of the ministry of Messiah, and we'll use this Shabbat Haftorah as our scripture focus, and our readings for this Shabbat are based on the eight-day Passover schedule. There's an eight-day schedule in the diaspora, and there's a seven-day schedule used in Israel and also used all over the world by Reform Judaism. So a couple of different ways. There should be several more because you know the old adage, where there are two Jews, there are three opinions. So we should have uh, several different ways. We're happening happening to use the eight-day Passover schedule. One of the reasons is the Haftorah for this eighth day is very interesting. It's a messianic Haftorah passage. It's a passage that speaks about the Messiah from the prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible with you, and you always should, whether it's a digital one on your phone or uh, on whatever devices you have or whether it's on your computer or a good old-fashioned paper Bible. However you do it, I would ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 1 for a few verses, and we'll use a variety of translations in order to capture and to focus on important points. So it starts this way. But a branch will emerge from the trunk of Jesse, Yeshai. A shoot will grow from his roots. And I like this other translation. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Then verse 2 says, The spirit of Adonai will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. He will be inspired by the awe of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but he will judge the poor, the impoverished with justice or justly. He will decide fairly for the humble and the lowly of the land. He will strike the land with a rod from his mouth and slay the wicked with a breath from his lips. Justice will be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the sash around his hips. Now take note of this next uh, verse. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the kid, calf young lion, and fatten lamb together with a little child to lead them. So when you think about what we've read so far, it, it speaks about justice for the poor, equity for the lowly, plus animals having a change of nature, the wolf living with the lamb and the leopard lying down with the kid, the calf, the young lion, and the fattened lamb together. And I think we can say that this has not yet been fulfilled. We can say that this is yet to come for sure. And we'll move on to verse 7. 
cow and bear will feed together. Can you imagine? And their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play on a cobra's hole. A toddler put his hand in a viper's nest. And they will not hurt or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. For the earth will be as full of the knowledge of Adonai as water is covering the sea. Some Jewish sages think that when it says that they won't hurt or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain, it's speaking of a transformation of the nature of these animals that only takes place in the land of Israel, but happens during the time of Messiah. And we can say this, whether it's just in the land of Israel or whether that transformation of the animal nature will take place in the whole earth, we can say for sure this has not happened yet. And yet, it's coming. It's part of the future work of Messiah. It goes on, verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse, Yeshai, which stands as a banner for the peoples, the Goyim, the Gentiles, the nations, will seek him out. In other words, they will seek out Messiah in the place where he rests will be glorious. The nations will seek him out. And in part, we see that already, don't we? Look around, and we can see in our Messianic community and in congregations all over the world that Jews and Gentiles are coming together through Messiah. Then we go to chapter 12. See, or behold, God is my salvation. I'm confident and unafraid. For the Lord my God, Yah Hashem, Yah Adonai, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He has become to me salvation, or he has become to me Yeshua. That would be an appropriate rendering from the Hebrew text. Then verse 3, you will joyfully draw water from the springs or the wells of salvation. And in that day, in that day, you will say, give thanks to Adonai, call on his name, make his deeds known among the peoples and declare how exalted is his name. So this is from this week's Haftorah portion, the Torah portion for Pesach, uh, the eighth day. And now I want to look at a related passage. It's an earlier passage from Isaiah, which is a Messianic prophecy too. It's in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. If you are watching online on Facebook Live, can you add this scripture reference to the comment section for people? That really helps people. And, and also, the scriptures themselves, if you're able to copy and paste them into the comment section, that helps people. Isaiah 2, verse 4. And then he, speaking of Messiah, will judge between the nations and arbitrate for many peoples, or as one translation said, settle very difficult disputes between peoples in different countries. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer take up the sword against nation or train anymore for war. Now ask yourself this question. Has this happened yet? 
No. I think each one of us can confirm from past experience and from current experience that we are not yet at that time when Messiah accomplishes this part of his ministry. So we're thinking about the unfinished work of Messiah. That's what I want you to focus on, and it will help you understand um, some important realities. There is a common modern Jewish idea very typical, that Messiah will fulfill all these things, including world peace. And since they haven't all happened, then the conclusion is the Messiah has not come. That's how I understood Messiah as a Jewish young person. Messiah will bring world peace because that is correct. It is a correct expectation. But the idea, if we don't have world peace, then Messiah has never come and that Yeshua could not be the Messiah, that is not exactly right. You see, Messiah will fulfill, he will bring into fullness all these things, but it will take two different times. Messiah comes twice, not once. And and it's very important to grasp this because our assumptions, our expectations are very important to us and they affect what we can recognize, what we can acknowledge, even what we can see and understand. And they also shape our attitudes and behaviors. So if you have assumptions that aren't exactly right, you will end up with attitudes and behaviors that aren't exactly right. And you won't see things that you could see if your assumptions or your expectations were different. Now, there's a Christian idea It goes something like this, but it's also similar, I think. It has to do with Messiah, and it says something, these are my words, Jesus Christ accomplished everything on the cross, and when he said, it is finished, it was, and that's that, and that's all you need to know, that's all you need to believe, and if you believe that, that's everything. Well, that's not exactly right either. Messiah did accomplish everything on the cross that was meant to be accomplished on the cross. Namely, that he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for all of us. And he became the substitute sacrifice for our sin in making atonement. And and it's necessary for us to recognize that, to acknowledge it, and to deal with the fact that we need that. But there was more for Yeshua to accomplish. And I want to name just a few things that are obvious and I think um, are self-evident. One of them is this, that he needed to be resurrected. His resurrection was a demonstration of the victory of God over death and sin. And it had profound significance. And had it not taken place, then everything that was necessary and associated with with the resurrection would not be able to be accomplished. Very, very important. Paul at one point goes so far as to say if he hasn't been resurrected, then our hope is actually uh, in vain. And then here's another thing that Yeshua accomplished after the cross, and that was his ascension. After his resurrection, then he appeared to his disciples, and he was on the face of the earth, and he then returned to heaven. That's what the ascension is, when he um, goes from the land of Israel back up to heaven, and he returns to heaven so that he could send 
the promise of the Holy Spirit. Without the ascension, without his returning to heaven, he could not send the Holy Spirit. That's not my opinion. That's what Yeshua said. And of course, there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which began at Shavuot, right after uh, that Pesach when Yeshua died, and then that period where he was visiting, and then after the ascension. And while the um, disciples were waiting during that period in Jerusalem in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Shavuot. That was the beginning. That wasn't the end. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit has been continuing as well. So if we think about all those things, I think they're self-evident that they are, uh, they were necessary for Yeshua to accomplish. And then we can think about all the things that we've already looked at that were mentioned by Isaiah, uh, including world peace, including the change of nature of animals. And so we can recognize that there is still some of the work of Messiah yet to be done. There is still incomplete work. And how do we think about and how do we understand the unfinished work of Messiah? Well, I want to suggest to you that it's very important that we open our hearts for what Yeshua still wants to accomplish, for what is yet to come, and to set our hearts on that and to work for that. Um, but what about this? Even though these things won't be fulfilled until Messiah returns, that's a question, that's a good question. Because some people think, well, if they won't be fulfilled until Messiah returns, then we don't have anything to do with them now. And I don't think that's correct. I would say, yes, we put these things in our heart that are yet to be fulfilled and will never be fully accomplished until Yeshua returns. We put them in our hearts now. We teach our children to yearn for these things. And we understand that these things yet to be accomplished are part of the good news of Messiah. We yearn for the times when nations beat their swords into plowshares. And we know this has not been completed. Of course, we know that. But we pray for it now. And we cry now over those who are suffering because of the war now. And we pay attention to the suffering and how it's affected people's lives. And we recognize this. Many, many people in our community and in the Messianic community are, are immigrants or first-generation children of immigrants or second-generation or even third-generation. And you remember your families told you the stories of the suffering and the difficulty that your family experienced, that your ancestors experienced, or maybe you yourself experienced directly, that led you to another country and to be here with us now. I was thinking about my great-grandfather, David Pollard, um, because he came from an area that he called Austria-Hungary, and right now it's, um, 
it's, it's now Poland, but when he moved to America in 1908 and brought his, his family here, uh, it was listed as Austria at Ellis Island, and then in the 1940 U.S. Census, I was able to look up that detail. But he came here, and one of the reasons that they came here is because of the Kishinev uh, pogrom in 1903, just a few years earlier. And there was a massacre of Jewish people in Kishinev, Moldova. Many were killed. 600 Jewish women were raped, according to historical records I've seen. It was a terrible time. But he made a very important decision for his family. He didn't fully understand what he was doing or what was ahead, and he did not know um, all the future blessings as well as trials and difficulties that that might be ahead it was a hard decision it was a hard decision that he made but today i'm really grateful for him having made that decision for my great-grandfather to bring his family over to america and to adjust here and to uh to enabled my mother's father to to come with him as a two-year-old and to get adjusted to America, to live in America. My, my grandfather, my mother's father, became a Marine when he was older and a banker. He's got a fascinating story. But my great-grandfather didn't know all the things that would happen in my grandfather's life or who he would marry and didn't know my mother would come when he made that decision when he was uh, in, uh, in, in that part of Austria or Poland or Austria-Hungary. It was really an area just across the border from uh, Lvov, Lviv in Ukraine, a transit point right now for refugees, if you're following the news. He did not know what would happen as a result of those decisions. But I can look back and I can say, thank you to my great-grandfather, David Pollard. Thank you because of your decision, we were spared. Our immediate family was spared all the difficulties associated with the Russian Revolution that happened later in 1917, just nine years after uh, they came to America, or um, 10 years after they came, rather. And actually, I'm not doing math very well, seven years, because they arrived in 1910 and uh, the revolution in 1917. But we were also spared in my immediate family uh, of, of the terror of the Holocaust. And we were here in America. Our family was here. And we were spared the difficulties of uh, the communist era and Soviet Union era. So my great-grandfather made a decision because he was yearning for something different. And he was seeing that the world is still broken and filled with with terror and suffering and anti-Semitism and hatred and conflict between nations and war. And, and violence and rape and sorrows of so many different kinds. And he made a decision to move to America 
in order to protect his family. He didn't understand all the details of what might happen in the future because you know what? Nobody understands all the details of the future. We can imagine some of the uh, sense of foreboding that that people have during such times of difficulty. But that doesn't mean that they see every detail of the future. He didn't know that my mother would be born. He didn't know uh, what her name was when he made that decision because his, uh, his son, my mother's father, was just two years old when he made that decision and moved here. He didn't know about me or about my siblings, or about my family, my children and grandchildren. He didn't know about my wife. He didn't know any of those things, but each one of us has been blessed because he made that decision. And I'm telling you this right now because when you realize that there are some things in your heart about the world, this broken world that we live in, those the suffering, you have the suffering, but you also have the yearning. What can we do? What could we do? And there are times when a decision may be in front of you and you make that decision without fully realizing or understanding what's ahead, but you make a decision and it actually reflects a yearning for the unfinished work of Messiah, whether you know it or not. This is what's perhaps working in your heart. And I want to point that out because when we become conscious of it and intentional about it, deliberate with it, when we, when we see that um, the, the world is, is suffering and, and, and there's so much difficulty and we ourselves have experienced suffering and, and, and pain and and being misunderstood and dealing with rejection and dealing with all the complications and sorrows of life. And yet there is more good to come. There's more good ahead. When you see the unfinished work of Messiah, then you can also embrace God's perspective that he knows the future that he has for us, a future not of harm, but of good. And then we also realize some other things. When we can see that there's more good to come, then we can recognize something about our own congregation and community and the diversity in the Messianic community, and that it's meant to give us opportunity to practice treating each other differently, to take the unfinished work of Messiah to heart, that time when nations are learning to accept each other, and to show respect and love and care and concern and compassion for one another and for all our different kinds of people. This is our opportunity. This is our place where we do this. This is where God calls us to do it. And it requires that we open our hearts to what Messiah wants to do and that we not allow the walls of the world to come into our community and not allow the world's divisions to separate us and not allow the disappointments and the sufferings and the things that can can harden our hearts. Um, it is not easy. It's hard. But it's prophetic. It's powerful to try to let this into our hearts and minds. No one said it would be easy. 
Willie Nelson sang that. Chris Martin and Coldplay wrote that together. Nobody said it would be easy. Nobody said it would be this hard. These times are hard. And they are this hard. I have to be honest with you. They are this hard. Beth Israel needs your continued goodwill, your prayer, your financial support and commitment to serve in this congregation as we're moving through this period. Our work as a community is not finished. It's not complete. There's much to be done, and this is a time of great challenge, and it will demand much from us all if we find our way as we have in the past by seeking the Lord and depending on his profound love and care and leadership, we will move forward and we will continue to say Kadima as we go forward step by step. Ma'at, ma'at, little by little, we can go forward into the good plans that God declares that he has for us. Well, as you're listening today, maybe something dawned on you and you began to recognize that your understanding of Messiah was not exactly right. And maybe today is a day when you begin to recognize that Yeshua is in fact the Messiah. Even if there's not world peace. I want to encourage you to take a position about that and be explicit and intentional yourself and to say to yourself, this is good news. And this is the truth of what God has done and what he will do. That Yeshua, God has come down from heaven, taken on a human body, become an atoning sacrifice for us and become a substitute for us to pay for the penalty of our own sin. If you recognize God's love, his resurrection, the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, then it's a time to, to recognize that yourself and to say it with your own mouth, to tell yourself and to tell others that Yeshua is Adonai and Yeshua is Messiah. And then all of us, those who are Jewish, those from other nations can recognize that God brings us together and that we're called to love each other and to allow his love to be the model for our love. With all of our diversity, with all of our differences, we can learn to accept each other's value before God. We can refuse to allow the walls of this world to separate us in the body of Messiah. And I want to say something else, that, that many people think in these days what's prophetic is to be angry against people on the other side, whatever that side may be. And I want to tell you that that is not being prophetic right now. What's being prophetic is to be useful and to hold on to the good news, not in a Pollyannish way, not with unbridled optimism, but with re the reality of what God wants to do and allowing that to get into your heart so that you can keep telling people, including yourself, the good news. Don't let our hearts be hardened. We can't allow that. Each one of us is tempted to get hardened, then to think things and to say things that will keep us from reflecting the love of Messiah and the unfinished work of Messiah and all that he wants us to do.
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you at this concluding time of Pesach. We thank you for our redemption. We thank you for our freedom. And we say, Dainu, it would have been enough. But we thank you, Lord, also for your unfinished work and all that is ahead. We wait for you, Lord, but we also wait with you, Lord. And we want the things that are in your heart that are yet to be done to be in our hearts, too. So from Sandy and me and the whole Beth Israel team, the Beth Israel Mishpochan, the sanctuary, and uh, the Korshans, Rabbi Yuri, Rabbi Zanina, uh, everyone at home via live stream, everyone listening in your car at work via Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast, we, we say we want to wish you a blessed and a happy Passover as it comes to a conclusion. If our ministry is a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry, standing with us financially. You can get all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And those of you in the sanctuary, you can congratulate each other uh, as you go to the Oneg in just a moment. But right now, let's stand for the ironic uh, benediction, the Yivarechecha, Yivarechecha Adonai V'yishmarecha Ye'er Adonai Panavelecha V'yichudnecha Yisa Adonai Panavelecha V'yasem Lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and protect you as he watches over you. May the Lord's face shine upon you, and may he favor you with all of his grace. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, we can all say amen. Shabbat shalom, Pesach Sameach.